You should just be recording this right now because it's good stuff and we should just start and see what happens. We are recording. We are recording. We were just getting ready and Yolanda said, I don't know what I'm talking about because he doesn't have his sad little page of notes and I was like, let's that just cold. Let's just start and see and see what happens because It'll be good. And then he started I am making, not a see what happens kind and, of guy. And then I started, plan. And then he started making fun of me and laughing so hard he couldn't talk, which he didn't want to record in any way. Here we are. This is Kate. Uh, welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So what is astonishing you? Well, you already know because we talked about it on the walk this morning in the cold, wet air of Charlotte. Um, we had a fantastic, phenomenal, awesome, amazing Christmas concert at Derrida Church on Sunday evening uh, featuring the African Community Choir of Charlotte. We are blessed to have Alton Lee uh, who is the founder and director of the choir as our uh, director of music. And uh, one of the singers in this choir leads our singing on Sunday mornings. And so uh, this is their their ninth Christmas concert. And they asked if they could have it at Derrida Church. And in my almost seven years that I've been the pastor, I've been privileged to be the pastor of Derrida Church, I don't think I have seen an event in which we had more people than mm-hmm. Sunday night. And we had to get extra chairs, which is phenomenal. Not only that, but uh, people were dancing in the aisles, uh, dancing up front. There's a there's quite a bit of space uh, in the Derrida Church Sanctuary between the first pew and the platform. And uh, people, and, and, and the, the leaders of the choir invited people to say, you know, however the Spirit moves you, be moved by the spirit. And so uh, people filled that space in between the first pew and uh, the platform and danced. And I did not sit down the entire concert. Mm-hmm. I, I, I told my wife later, I, I, I felt like I had an aerobic workout. It was, it was, it was, it was truly a celebration. And I'm grateful I'm especially grateful and astonished uh, by the saints of Derrida Church. So interesting to me. So I, I'm so blessed uh, seeing people change and grow. When I first arrived at Derrida Church years ago, people said, hey, we are white. We don't clap and sing. We don't express ourselves in worship. That's not who we are. We don't do that. And some folks felt um, criticized, maybe even judged by me, because I, I've been constantly saying, this is for you. This is for you. You are invited. It's not a have to. Mm-hmm. It's a get to. Uh, so if you would like to step into this, at whatever level you're on, you are welcome. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was in the back of the sanctuary, and um, I was able to see quite a few of the Derrida Church Saints and the joy, uh, the movement um, that I saw in them blessed me. Not only that, we had a number of people from the from the neighborhood, members of the church, without my prompting, were 
very intentional about inviting their neighbors and friends. And they, they made a point of grabbing me, pulling me this way and that way, saying, I want you to meet my neighbor. I want you to meet my friend. I want you to meet mm-hmm. my coworker. And um, it, again, it was, it was a blessing um, to see the Derived Church Saints just be so excited about this particular event, so excited that they would invite neighbors, friends, family. But most of all, I left the concert um, astonished once again by the truth we proclaim this time of year. Like a really, I, I just can't get over the reality that God became an infant child in the person of Jesus Christ. Are you going to tell everyone what? Eva Edwards said to you, because that is just the most poignant yes. and like tender. Like, I don't even know. Like, that's a sort of ponder it in your heart kind of it is, it thing. Is. It's amazing. One of the um, beloved saints at Dorada Church, her name is Eva. Eva is um, over 95. And um, at the end of the concert, um, she pulled me aside and she... <laughs> Bless her. Eva is very short, and so she always kind of pulls you down (laughs) to where she is so she can be face-to-face with you. And she said to me, um, I I, I prayed that God would not let me die until I saw a moment like this, a time like we had tonight. This, I've lived and I've prayed for this to happen at Dorita Church. And... um, you know, I, I pray that she's not leaving us anytime soon, but it it was one of those things that you, you hear in the moment and you walk away realizing the, the depth and the holiness and... Um, well, it's like one of my favorite gifts that anybody gave me in seminary was my preaching professor who I just, Anthony Campbell, who... It was such a um, gift in, in lots of ways and a mentor to me. And one of the things he said is if to all of us is that if you keep your eyes open in ministry, if you watch over the course of your life serving God in the church, you will meet everyone in scripture in your congregation. You will meet everyone in scripture. If you watch, if you're looking and, um, and I just, I hear her saying that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Anna and Simeon, right? Like she's been serving and waiting in that church for almost 95 years. And then here is this moment where people are not just announcing the birth of Christ, but really like receiving and rejoicing and leaning in to the the realm of God that that Jesus is coming reveals. And that again... When when the Pharisees come up to Jesus and are like, all right, dude, wh- like, when's your kingdom coming? Like, where's it going to be and when's it coming? Like, just let us know so that we can let other people know so we can be aware so that we can go there. And Jesus's response is the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Like, it's here. And that is such a, like, slippery and, and um, really difficult revelation for us because on the one hand, you look around and you're like, I mean, no, it isn't. 
And on the other hand, you realize, or what I think is that Jesus is saying, hey, we have everything that we need to enter into the fullness of this, of, of Kairos, of holy time. Like we get to bring this value and the power of grace into our quote, ordinary lives and let them be, you know, manifestations of the kingdom of God here and now in the middle of us, in the midst of us, if we choose. And so that idea of just like, we can announce the kingdom of God, but if we won't enter into it, in the only lives that we have now, if we're waiting for some other realm, some other time, some other place, um, then we're, we, we are misunderstanding the radical revelation of incarnation, which is not only here and now, we're not saying it's only here and now, but we're saying it is here and now and in the midst of us. And, um, so, I mean, it's just like, so um, amazing to think about her, her steadfast faithfulness and waiting. Like, I mean, like Anna, but I mean, like Simeon's the one who's like, now let my servant, (laughs) Lord, let your servant go in peace because I've been here and I've seen everything I need to see. And I've beheld the Christ, the Messiah I've been waiting for. And I just like, I'm all good. I don't need anything else. And that's what I hear her saying is, um, so it's just really beautiful and powerful astonishing in the best way it is yes and um there was you know at one point at one point during the concert um miriam who uh, leads our singing uh, she was singing um a a solo and something shifted in the room i mean it was clearly this holy spirit moment and i'm looking around at other people who are also looking around and we are all astonished, not not simply by her voice in the song, but by the presence of the Lord in the room. Well, and that's what we talk about a lot, that like music and worship leading, the music, the voices, the songs, they're not the end, they're the means to the end, right? They They, what we believe is that they allow us to enter into the presence of the Lord in a different way. And that's the point of them, not to impress us or entertain us or please us. So, And I really appreciated this choir, this African community choir, um, came genuinely in their Africanness and celebrated. And at one point, um, in the middle of the concert, they taught the audience a dance. They were mm-hmm. already doing the dance on stage. And then in the middle of the song, they taught the audience. And so we were all singing and doing the dance. See, and that's so beautiful, right? Like not, I mean, and I think that's what it means to be like a resident alien, right? Like to say, I am a, this is an outpost of the kingdom. So I'm not here just to be like, I'm on the inside and you're on the outside and look at me and me, but like, no, no, you're here. So you belong and I'm going to teach you and disciple you so that you can enter into this. And it's not that you have to be like me or conform to me, but it is that like, what I have is also for you. Mm-hmm. If you, if you desire it, right? Yes. Yes. So yes. that's really beautiful. That's really beautiful. So what's astonishing you? Um, well, this weekend, um, was just a really good and full pastoring weekend in a lot of ways. Um, one that I'm not ready to talk about, but two that I am. So Saturday was a very full day, um, 
and early in the morning I got to um, go to the hospital and visit um, a friend, a member of our congregation, a leader in our congregation, or el- an elder in our congregation who just had twins. And so um, wow. it was just, just like so cool and beautiful and amazing and overwhelming and just all the things. And, um, you know, a lot of times, and I I really get this having had three babies, like, you know, you just, the people don't always want to see you in the hospital. Like if you, so you, I think as a pastor, like you walk this line of wanting to know, like, I want to come and be physically present, but I don't want to intrude. And, you know, and we have a, a spiritual connection. So I don't have to be in the room with you in order to be, um, present to you and praying and we don't as a community anyway but I but she did invite me in and so I was really happy to come and see the babies and hold the babies and pray over them and it just was such a um you know just one of those moments where you're like this is just such a great gift that because of this call and it's not the call of pastoring it's really the call of following Jesus that you just get invited into somebody's life at this really incredibly it's this incredible moment. Right. And it's just such an honor and a gift, um, to recognize that like in the most eternal way, like these babies don't just belong to Charday, like they're we're part of this family. And, um, that's like something that we all sort of theologically believe and aspire to, but you get invited into the hospital room and it's just like a, a different level of embodiment. It's just, it's just really, um, powerful. And then I left that space, um, to go and attend the funeral of a man who was part of the congregation that I served before I came to the Grove. So I served a, um, a church, um, kind of a, a suburban white church that used to be a rural church, a white church in West Charlotte. And I was there for four and a half years and I really, and I did children and youth ministry and I really, um, I, I very deeply loved and was loved by that congregation. And I really, um, had just so much, um, freedom and permission to serve children and youth in the congregation in, in ways that were, um, just really authentic and meaningful to me. And, um, like as a whole, there were, um, I mean, there's diversity of thought within the congregation, but that just a lot of um, foundational understandings of Jesus, of how you express faith in Jesus, of sort of how you interact with people who are different, that I just, I was not in the same place as the majority of the congregation. So there was real love, there was real authentic love, it was mutual, and it was also hard and uneasy at some points in some places. But like, again, just this gift that you're with people in this time and, um, and family. And so a a man, um, in that congregate who had been in that congregation and since they've gone to a different congregation, but they, their kids were in my youth group and their, um, his wife was a, was a friend. And, um, I had this great privilege of, um, being used by the Holy spirit to help her discern her call to ministry. And so she went to seminary and became a chaplain and a hospice chaplain. And, and then her husband died. And so wanted, I just want to, you know, you want to go to the funeral. You just want to show up for people and say like, this is not just, I'm not in this official role in your life, but like, this is a tie that really does bind. And, um, 
and you know, one of those moments where it's just presence, right? Like to sh- show up and say, I can't do anything. I can't fix things at all. But like, I just want to grieve this with, with you, or at least bear witness to your grief and let you know you're not alone, which is just so sacred. And being there, you know, they had come to this new congregation in Charlotte and they had come right before COVID started. And so then they couldn't physically gather with that congregation for the two years of COVID. And then after COVID, that's when his cancer really um, just made connecting really difficult. And so it was interesting because it was hosted by this church, like with so much integrity and authenticity and love, but like they hadn't had the chance to really form the bonds, particularly with him because of COVID and then because of his own sickness. And so I, I was there and it was really interesting because I was talking to my friend who actually preached the sermon and it was so, such a powerful word of consolation and resurrection. She preached John 11, Gail Henderson Belsito, who's a, just an amazing anointed pastor and preacher. And it's just such a powerful word to share with grieving people that like Jesus meets us in our grief and weeps with us. And also is the resurrection and life. And do you believe, and you don't, it's not really, and, and also it's not up to your belief, right? Like she doesn't, you know, and that was the ending of her sermon was so powerful. She's like, I just want to ask you like that question, like Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? And and she said that to them, to the family. And then she's like, actually don't answer that because it doesn't matter. Right. Because Jesus is, you know, and so it was just like, oh, and I, you know, it's been two years since my dad died and we didn't have a funeral for him. And so like, I'm in the back, just like, ugly crying and I mean you just can tell that everyone in the room it's like so particularly for um Peter the man who had died which was so powerful because funeral services should never be generic and it was so particular and specific to him and then also in its particularity you could just see it unlocking other people's grief and it just was this living word that was doing whatever it was doing and then there was a reception afterwards and I was talking to her and she was like, I don't, you know, half of the people who were in the room were people from that previous congregation that I served, many of whom like no longer lived in Charlotte and all of whom really had not been able to be physically in relationship in church with this family for whatever, four years. And yet are traveling, you know, from across the region to show up and worship and give thanks for Peter's life and console um, his family, including like, uh, I mean, all these young people who were in the youth group that I was serving, whatever, 13 years ago, who came back to, you know, it just was so beautiful and powerful. And on this one morning moment to sort of be sent as an emissary of the church to, you know, anoint these newborn babies and then to get to bear witness as the church spoke words of hope and resurrection anointed to people who had gathered at death to say, you know, even at the grave, we make our song. Like it just was this astonishing moment of like, man, I see the church I know the church. I have no illusions about the church. Zero. And it is just so astonishingly 
good to have the opportunity to be church, to be the body of Christ with one another. And I just love, I love it so much, you know, not just being a pastor, being a human, having these connections through Christ to other humans and just the idea that we can sort of conceive of it sometimes when we're in kind of really homogenous groups and to say like, actually the circle can be so much wider and our experience of the power of the reconciling love of God, like can be so much deeper if we will let the spirit draw, draw us outside of, you know, our comfort zone. So anyway, it was beautiful. And I, and, and also sad and hard. I don't want to downplay, you know, the tragedy of, um, death. You know, I think sometimes we kind of act like it's our job in the church to help people make peace with death. And that is not our job. Um, our job is to proclaim resurrection in light of death and, um, Anyway, so that is what is astonishing me. Well, what comes up in me um, in all that is, um, you know, in this time, this post-pandemic time in which church attendance is low and people, it seems like everywhere, are asking if the church is still relevant. And um, I'm thinking that's probably not the right question. Right? It is... It is Jesus. Jesus is relevant. Right. And, right? I, and I think the reality is so often we have let the culture wars co-opt and, you know, really form our understanding of what it means to be the church. And the reality was what it means to be the church is to celebrate birth and to anoint newborns with oil and prayer and to make promises to them that I'm going to walk beside you and your family as you grow in stature, as you, you know, to, to be like the people who marveled at who Jesus was becoming when he was a child, right. And to greet his birth, like the birth of every child, like Anna and Simeon greeted the birth of the Christ child, like look at this miracle that's in our midst and to accompany one another all the way to the grave, singing, bearing witness to the unfathomable good news that death is not the end without requiring people to like shave the rough edges off of their grief and their agony and just being with one another in pain and saying this season is real and we can't skip it and we and it's not the end and we're going to walk with you and bear witness um in it and through it in whatever way you like like that will never ever not be transformative and relevant. Um, and, and when we say like, all right, well, church is just about, you know, avoiding bad behavior and achieving good behavior right. and having orthodox thoughts, then yeah, everyone's like, no, like I don't need one more institution in my life shaming me or, you know, guilting me or, or the other end of the spectrum controlling me or, or the other end of the spectrum uh, simply being um, motivational, right? right? inspirational. Right. And what I love about just watching the people from the church I serve show up for this family is like, I mean, it was a real cross-section of the congregation. And I just think, you know, we, the, the place that we start is learning how to love the people who are around us, right? And that's, that's not where we 
end, but it's where we start and that, you know, Jesus will meet us in that and keep drawing us deeper and deeper into the fullness of life. But we can't, it just can't be theoretical. It can't be from the neck up. It has to involve really sharing life with one another, which means the, the, um, hardest parts, not just the celebrations, um, and showing up when you don't have words, you can't make it better. All you can do is not make people be alone. Well, if the church is faithfully bearing witness to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, then it will be able to walk with people both in celebrations and in grief. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, in the church that sort of in the neck up culture war church, when terrible things happen, the only word we have to say is blame, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of being able to say, Jesus meets us in this and there's resurrection in this, not destruction of our enemies, resurrection in this. And that is a different way of walking through life. That's abundant life. So, yeah. So what are you thinking about? I am thinking about an article that I read in Ministry Matters a couple of weeks ago. Ministry Matters is an online publication by, I believe, the United Methodist Church. And there's an article um, entitled, Can Clergy Be Christian? And uh, it's written by Sam Wells, who is an Episcopal priest in London. And apparently um, he does a lot of speaking and traveling and teaching and writing and he has um, yeah, he took over at duke for will willimon that's right yeah he has um, lots of opportunities to talk uh to uh, clergy and students and um, people in the church uh, around the world and so he, he wrote this article uh, can clergy be christian and the title alone got my attention I was like, okay I, i've got to read this it's very interesting he says he is having a similar conversation with clergy everywhere and people call him they want to meet with him have coffee catch up but he says i'm having the same conversation and he says even though clergy are in different contexts it all comes down to the same thing he says there there are the clergy who are in kind of um like state churches like in scandinavia they have um, they have plenty of money because people pay their dues and their taxes uh, they have um, the membership is high but attendance is low uh, and because they are state churches, there's a, there's quite a bit of overlap between church and state. And um, it, it those clergy, clergy in those churches are not expected to say or do anything that is particularly Christian that would counter social norms. And so basically they are, they are. <laughs> I mean, okay, sorry. Can we just like, that's like Constantinianism to Absolutely. the yeah. I mean, like it's just so funny that you'd be like oh, okay sorry because everybody's Christian I mean this is an insider basement yes. baseball conversation yes. but like it's just yes. interesting that you would like explicitly name you know we'll be Christian in a way that doesn't challenge any cultural norms mm -hmm. when the reality of the revelation of Jesus is that it challenges all cultural norms like literally yes. all of them yes. not just the bad ones but the good ones. But the good ones like, as well. Your mother and brothers are outside. No, they're not. <laughs> My mother and brothers are here in this room. What? Right. Like, I mean, challenging all of the norms. Yeah. So the clergy in these churches are um, there's like living lives of quiet desperation. They're dying on the vine. They're withering on the vine. So that's one group. A second group 
It's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. There are clergy and churches that are, they're competing with society. society. They're trying to uh, play ball with the big players, with those in entertainment and politics. These churches are trying to um, get their slice of the power and influence pie. And so these clergy are very busy, very busy, very busy. Right. And then there's the third group he says he talks to. Uh, these are clergy that um, they, they simply aspire to shepherd people. They, they want to walk with them uh, during transitions in life. Um, they, they just want to be with individuals and families, not necessarily lead an institution. These clergy, um, these folks have forgotten that the church has a mission. Right, and so they're they're not interested in the mission of the church, uh, but simply caring for people. And and so this is what he writes in in the last paragraph of the article. Every priest has a family member who constantly says, silently or aloud, "You're wasting your time." <laughs> Sometimes that voice is coming from the priest's own soul. In the wilderness of unbelief or failure, we're all tempted just the same way Satan tempted Christ, to smooth respectability, superficial success, or secluded intimacy. It turns out all are understandable, well-trodden, but ultimately futile attempts to do what every Christian wants to do. Avoid the cross. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so of course, that got me thinking about, okay, because I'm, I'm no one special, like I'm not unique, so in what ways am I living and doing ministry that is avoiding the cross? And I started thinking about that, like, okay, wait, what do I believe is the meaning of the cross? What, what exactly mm -hmm. am I avoiding? And I, I, I hold on to two um, theories of the atonement, as uh, um, uh, theologians like to say. Um, I, I hold together, try to hold together both um, um, substitution, um, substitutionary atonement. Christ is the Lamb of God who dies in my place, suffers in my place, and uh, the, the Christus Victor model. Uh, which says that on the cross, all the powers of evil converged on Jesus to destroy him, but instead the powers were defeated on the cross because uh, the scripture says that um, God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus, not God condemned Jesus, which is what we often hear. Mm -hmm. But the text says God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. And so I'm, I'm thinking about the cross, and I'm thinking, okay, so the cross is God's self-giving, self-sacrificing love, um, but also the cross is um, this, this, uh, this moment, this instrument um, that looks like defeat, looks like weakness, uh, looks like failure, but is in actuality the... The, the victory of God over evil. Yeah, and and the cross is the judgment of the world, right? Like yes. the cross is you see in the cross the reality of the 
systems, with our religious systems, the secular justice systems, you see like, oh, we are told that this is goodness, that this is sacredness, that this is justice, that this is righteousness. But on the cross, we see revealed what that actually is. Like these systems conspire together to murder God, like deicide. And so it's the judgment of God, not on Jesus, but on these systems and on our participation in them. Um, And so I think, you know, that's that second connection for like when you as a pastor are trying to sort of get validation from these systems or prop them up through these systems or conform to these systems. That's exactly then... where I was going. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, keep going. No, keep going. That's well, no, it's just yes. that the cross, like you, then you are not, the cross is not at the center of your ministry because yes. you're not, your life isn't revealing the truth about those systems, which is what judgment means, right? Like judgment doesn't mean destruction necessarily. It doesn't mean hate hating and smashing it to judge something means to reveal to decide rightly about that right so i think um you know the cross judges all the systems that placed jesus at that moment which are the systems of religion and power and um separation and i think um tribalism, just all, you know, scarcity, just all violence, like redemptive violence. Like these are all of the things that are exposed in, by the judgment of the cross. And I think, um, what was I thinking lately? Just that, like when we come into Christ initially, you know, we, we often come unless you come the way Jesus tells you to like a child, which is very rare of us. But, you know, for many of us, particularly sort of quote, first world Christians or sophisticated, uh, privileged Christians, we come to Christianity feeling like we have a lot of sophistication and expertise and a lot of like gifts to offer. And like, aren't we like sort of our presence is validating (laughs) Jesus. And, you know, we come feeling like we are experts and the reality is we are actually beginners. Like we're very immature. We're very wounded. We're very flawed. We're very unhealed and imperfect, but we look to ourselves and to the world around us like we really are mature. And then as we grow mature Mm -hmm. in the wisdom of the cross, we will appear to the world more and more like weak losers failures right and because that is because because the kingdom of god is fundamentally in opposition to the kingdoms of this world right i mean that that's just incontrovertible like if it were possible for the systems and powers and hierarchies of this world to bring about heaven on earth it'd be done but it's not possible which is why this is the problem with the moral majority. This is the problem with the culture war. This is the problem with progressive Christianity. This is the problem with conservative Christianity. Like, it's not that we want to destroy and bash and take charge. It's recognizing that all of these things that look like they have so much power and look like they have so much importance and look like they have to be the place where the power of God is going to be made manifest. When you grow wise in the kingdom, you realize, oh, all that stuff is passing away. 
all of that stuff is temporary and it's the things that are invisible, the things that are small and weak that are actually the nexus of the kingdom of God. And so you, you, you grow down. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a, that's a shot to your ego. When you come up in a system, even a church system that says, if you're good, you'll rise to the top. Then you rise to the top. You'll Mm -hmm. have a big church. You'll have lots of, lots of whatever. Um, And to be a small church pastor, you know, I, I find myself having to battle this mentality of more, more, bigger, bigger. If we get to bigger, that says something good about me. Then I'm worthy. I'm worthy. If Mm -hmm. I can just, I can manifest my intrinsic worthiness by what I can produce for Jesus and how really it's valued by the world that's falling away. And it's just, it is, you know, the enemy, it's diabolical, literally. Like it's just a really easy. The devil is tricky. And not, you know, the temptations of Christ and of us are never like, go and be a mass murderer, right? Like that is not, we don't fall for that. It's not like go and, you know, pick it outside of a hospital and cry like death to babies, right? Like we don't, we are not attracted by things that appear evil to us. We are, we are tempted by things that seem good, but are not the good. I mean, cause I, I've been, you know, and we're getting ready for Lent we're not getting ready for one, but I'm thinking about sort of the whole preaching year. And I, and I, you know, I've been really struck coming again and again to the Bible verse, that the cross is the wisdom of God. And just really saying like, I'm not a substitutionary atonement girl, but I, you know, nor, most people, we don't, we, we see the cross, we get, we wear it around our necks. Like we see it in the church. Like we, we know it's at the center of things, but we doesn't, but it doesn't mean anything to us mainly because we don't, you know, we, I think as pastors often say one thing, like, which is essentially de facto, like, Jesus, this had to happen. It's good for you that it happened. Now you're good. Like, because Jesus died on the cross, you're good forever. Now go do whatever you want. Don't worry. Right? Like, this is often. Um, and so or, I... Or instead of hearing, um, God so loved the world... That God gave God's only son. God so hated the world that God was going to strike the world and Jesus happened to get in the way. Right. And and take our punishment. Like God is a a, a child abuser, right? God needed somebody innocent to suffer. So this is what, you know, so it's just, we don't see the wisdom of cross, which means then we don't know how to pick up our cross and follow. And we don't know how to use the cross as a tool to abundant life. That the cross is not a curse. The cross is a gift, although it is a stumbling block if we're trying to use Jesus to achieve greatness in the world that is, right? Which is a gift to be derailed from that. But it, it's really hard, it, particularly living in sort of a, a self-proclaimed Christian nation that says, hey, if you achieve um, goodness and, and as we perceive it in American culture, that means you're a good Christian. And so then you just get confused about well, what is, you know, abundant life really look like and what does the cross have to do with that? And maybe the only thing I can think to do it is like use it as a way to understand punishing people who really suck in my yes, eyes. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I, I hate to um, rush you. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no, I really do hate to rush you. Um, but we have five minutes and I got to go get my child from school Yeah, because we started recording late and we that was my, my fault. Well, no, we were talking about a lot of stuff, but, um, but what are you thinking about? 
Well, I'm just, I am thinking, ironically, we were talking about this a little bit about, um, so apparently Matt Chandler, who is a mega church pastor in Texas, was reinstated um, at his church this past Sunday. And, and we talked about this a couple of months we ago. We did talk about it because nobody really knows what happened. Um, he is a 49. He's like really personable. You know, you definitely want to drink a beer with him if you're into that kind of thing. And all of a sudden he announced or his church announced that he had an inappropriate relationship with a woman in his congregation that was not sexual and was not, I mean, it was almost like they were saying like this relationship was uh, like, it was not befitting of him, but it wasn't inappropriate and it wasn't sexual, but it like, it was like they were saying he didn't do anything wrong. And yet he did something. We take it very seriously. And you know, What's hard is, I, A, I don't want to think about it at all, but B, I mean, it's out there norming Christian relationships. And it, it seems like if you, either you have to say like, okay, actually he did um, abuse his power and coerce someone into some sort of inappropriate sexual relationship um, and they're just lying about it, which is obviously deeply problematic. Or you have to say, Essentially, it seems like what they're saying is he had a friendship with a woman and that was inappropriate. And so he had to step away and get like deep therapy and check to see if his like literally, I mean, this is funny, but it's not funny, but literally he had brain cancer and had recovered from it. And they said one of the things they did during his time away is like get him more brain scans to see if his brain cancer had come back because having a friendship with a woman is potentially a symptom of resurgence of brain cancer right and so i just am like i really wow i need us to be able to understand that women and men are humans and that women and men can be peers and that women and men can be friends and i need the church both the church that proclaims to be complementarian and the church that proclaims to be egalitarian to understand that we are formed by these gender norms and gender hierarchies in ways that we are not even conscious of and that the most radical thing that we can do is see someone of another gender or who presents in a way that doesn't fit our gendered expectations as a human, human. as a human who you can be in meaningful, God-honoring relationship with. And it's just breaks my heart and if you can't it means you've been shaped in a way you've been malformed in a way that you need you you need deeper application of the gospel and i just think like the reality is i i am a person who you know for me there's just a big deep bright line around human sexuality and like privacy and intimacy and so while I understand that it's important as a pastor to be able to be present to people pastorally and to be able to sort of name some of the lies that are distorting human expressions of sexuality broadly, I'm not a person who feels like this is like a part of life that is shared like anecdotally even with anyone other than your partner. So but I think it's really important that we just, there's this unnamed assumption in our culture that if men and women have a relationship, 
I mean, it's like we, it's like when Harry met Sally becomes our anthropological, like this is like the (laughs) highest truth that we, it's like, well, it's inevitable. I mean, eventually. And just like, because you cannot conceive a woman as anything other than a desired or undesired sexual partner. And it's just devastating to me. And I really think it's important for men and women to look and see like, well, A, do you have any healthy friendships at all? And then B, if you do, are they all only of one gender? And that that's really problematic. And I'm not saying that, I mean, every friendship you have with anybody is specific and particular to the uniqueness of that friendship. And so, I mean, frankly, you know, there are parts of my life that I share with women that I'm friends with that like just I don't like, that's just not something that we share as a part of our friendship. And there are parts of our friendship when we talk about pastoring or theology or whatever that I don't bring into the, you know, but it's both, you're still showing up as your authentic self. Yes. But this idea that women are just inherently corrosive agents of like sexual deviation and me, like, it's just so gross. And I hate it that there's this huge platform of people who are basically patting themselves on the back about how seriously they're taking sexual purity that they sort of went above and beyond to sit their pastor down for six months because, well, we can't tell you what he did, but what we can tell you is he had a friendship, which they call a relationship, right? It's not a sexual relationship, but it's a relationship. So you're telling me that because it was not a transactional encounter between a woman like it would have been okay had she been a person in his bible study it would have been okay if they could have had a conversation about like a piece of art that she was making because they actually had a relationship that you can't even put the word friendship on it all you can say to me is well it wasn't sexual but it was still inappropriate like that is just deeply deeply troubling and i don't just want to throw shame on that church but i also just want to say for, you know, we serve in a, in a kind of church that's called Presbyterian in a mainline congregation that we make a big deal about how we are egalitarian and we, you know, understand that men and women are called by God to fulfill all the forms and are human and in Christ Jesus, you know, we're not male or female anymore. We're whole human beings, blah, blah. But we still don't encourage people to have friendships that transcend, transcend gender roles. And most Men I know do not read books written by women. They do not listen to sermons preached by women. You know, women learn from men and women, and men learn from men. And that's deeply problematic. And in the same way, black people learn from black people and white people, and white people learn from white people, right? So we're just limiting our, our the wisdom that we can you know, put into our lives because we can only receive it and we can only have relationships when it shows up in certain embodied forms. And everyone else is like, danger, Will Robinson. Like this is going to, you know, blow up your world or corrupt you. So that's what I'm thinking about. And you don't have time to talk about anything else. And it's a bummer because I have another friend who is a um, black pastor who used to primarily work in white evangelical congregations. And he was just noting like it's funny that Matt Chandler can be reinstated after his whatever, whatever, but for black and white pastors in the evangelical world who challenged the social norms by talking about racism, 
they don't get sat down for a time. They just get banished. There's no room for that at all. So, you know, if you actually dare to have a relationship with someone of another gender, a friendship with them, like we can sit you down for a while and bring you back as long as you promise to never, ever talk to a woman ever again without employing the Billy Graham rule. Just as long as you remember never to do that again, then you can come back into the fold. But once you talk about racism, that is the third rail and you're done. You're toast. You're out of there. There's no rehabilitation for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll simply say this. Um, we really do need to explore because uh, I think there's a lot to explore that we haven't. The, a scripture that you just referenced uh, where Paul says, um, there's neither male nor female for we're all one in Christ Jesus. Like what exactly does that mean? And I I think there is, there's a lot of mystery there. There's a lot uh, to explore there that we just haven't um, looked at. We've, we just kind of fly by and go, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I think we just need to, we need to land there for a minute. Right. And I think we haven't explored it because we haven't been interested in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Because I think that unlike, and we've talked about this before, unlike looking at racial reconciliation, we're not risking relationships, but we are risking relationships when we look at gender dynamics, because these are people who are our intimate partners, our own fathers, our own sons, our own, you know, like we're really playing with dynamite in some of the most meaningful relationships that we have. And I'm sorry, we're keeping to talk and Yolanda's out of time. So check out Derida Prez at their website, which is Derida Church. That you say I it. forgot. I forgot. Derida Church dot faith life sites. No. Der- yes. <laughs> Der- oh my word. I forgot. Google it. We hope it's Derida Derida. <laughs> church.faithlifesites.com there you go I feel better about the fact that I can't remember it and check out the Grove the grovecharlotte.org we've got podcasts we've got YouTube channels we've got all the things we're big time so it's God's church it's not us it's God see look what has happened to me because you rushed me I'm sorry we're now egomaniacs I'm sorry we'll talk to you next week I give up <laughs>